Hello, this is Dr. Warner Hu, the Chair of Suchess and Gynecology at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB, and I'd like to welcome you to this monthly episode of Women's Health with Dr. Hu. Today, we're going to discuss an important prevalent issue in women's health, specifically urinary incontinence, and with me today is Dr. Susan Meyer, who's an Assistant Professor in the Division of Female Public Medicine and Reconstructive Surgery in the Department of Surgeons and Gynecology here at UAB. Welcome, Dr. Meyer. Thank you for having me today. Well, I think this is an incredibly important topic, mainly because I think it's under-recognized and maybe it's something that women don't like talking about, but uh, we're going to talk about urinary incontinence, and I thought maybe you could just tell us you know, what the definition of urinary incontinence is, the prevalence, risk factors, what women need to know and our listeners need to know. Definitely. Thank you again. Urinary incontinence is a very prevalent condition, as you mentioned. As with any chronic conditions, the prevalence increases with age. And if you're in your 20s and 30s, maybe 1 in 20, 1 in 10, or 5 to 10% of women with have urinary incontinence. But, you know, as you age, by age 80, more than 50% of women, or at least every other woman in the United States, have some sort of urinary incontinence. And some studies report even higher prevalence, like 60 to 80% in these women, older women have this condition. And some of the risk factors, you know, in addition to aging and menopause that I mentioned, are childbirth and obesity. People with no childbirth or no history of vaginal birth, they are not risk-free. But if you have childbirth or vaginal deliveries, their risk of incontinence increases. And when I mentioned the prevalence of how common urinary incontinence is in women, it is surprising to many people how common it is. But the reported prevalence is thought to be underestimated or underreported. So what I mean by that is it's actually more common than you think. And the reason is women with urinary leakage or urinary incontinence, they don't report their symptoms. You know, they don't talk about it. It's not a sexy topic to talk about. So they don't talk about it. And because they don't talk about it or report their symptoms, they are not counted or included in epidemiologic studies. So many women with urinary incontinence actually suffer in silence. And I wanted to talk to you um, why that might be. The study have shown that the more than 50% of women, they don't seek care and they don't talk about it. And the reasons are, you know, many reasons, but these women are embarrassed to have urinary incontinence. You know, like I said, it's not something that they talk about at dinner table. They don't talk about it when they get together with friends. And another reason is that they assume that it is actually normal part of aging, which it is not. But they often say, you know, my mother, my grandma, they they all had these problems when they got older. So they think they assume that this is just normal part of aging. And lastly, they believe that there's nothing that can be done, which is not true, but that's the reality. So I believe practicing medicine, as you know, Warner, it is a privilege. And I have heard many times my patients say, you know, I have not even told my best friend or my partner or my spouse or my husband, but yet they are telling how bothered they are to a complete stranger, which is me, and, you know, as a provider, and about how devastated they are about these problems. And so my passion is to be an advocate for women's health and improve their quality of life. And I'm grateful that I'm able to help these ladies. And I'm making a difference at an individual level. But at the same time, you know, I know I have more work to do to educate the community and to increase awareness. And it is not normal part of aging. 
and there's something that we can do to help. And patients tell me, you know, I wish I had done this sooner, or why did I wait so long after the treatment? And this is actually also quite common. More than 50% do not seek care for this problem. Every other woman, they have this problem. They are not talking about it. For those who actually seek care, on average, they live with this condition five to 10 years before they seek care. So it is a big problem. So I'm actively involved in National Professional Society, American Yoga Oncologic Society, along with my partners, Dr. Richter, who is currently the president of the OGS, the society who, which focuses to improve care for women with pelvic floor disorders, such as incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse, which is described as you know, dropped bladder, a bulge in the vagina, and trying to increase awareness of this burdensome condition. And we are trying to promote research in this area. We've collaborating with the NIH and different institutes within the NIH and also having discussions with the Congress in DC, ultimately to increase research and hopefully improve awareness and hopefully broaden the insurance coverage for this treatment, the treatment for these conditions. And this is the exact reason why I thought this is an appropriate topic for you and I to discuss. One is just the sheer prevalence and the fact that at the bare minimum, we're talking about one in two women that actually suffer from urinary incontinence in their lifetime. But you use the word normal and the normal part of aging, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that a lot of women suffer from this, but I would far from consider it being normal. And mm -hmm. I think it's just something that is woefully sort of underrecognized, and I think women just accept it for what it is. I think the quality of life consequences on women is enormous, but the best part is that we actually have treatments that actually can improve their continence, Definitely. if not totally reverse it, and you know, as a consequence, improve their quality of life. So I thought maybe you can just talk to us a little bit about what are those treatment options, perhaps the surgical and non-surgical treatment options for urinary incontinence. Definitely. So before I get into the treatment options, I want to talk about the types of incontinence or types of leakage. It's because the mechanism is different and therefore the treatment is different. So there are two most common types of incontinence in women, and one is called stress leakage. So which is we, the ladies cough, sneeze, and leak, you know, often they talk about, oh, I had to cross my legs before they, I cough, or you, uh, I leak urine. And the other one is jumping, lifting, you know, jogging, and they start leaking. So these ladies actually alternate their lifestyle. They used to enjoy running and jogging and no longer able to do that. And so that is a stressed urinary incontinence. The other most common types of leakage is urgency incontinence, which is often associated with strong urinary urgency, cannot suppress the urge to urinate, and starts to leak urine. So mostly known as gotta go, gotta go, can't make it to the bathroom and starts to leak. And so, I, as I mentioned, the mechanism is different. So the, the treatment that we offer is different and we have to first figure out what exactly is going on and what type of leakage these women have. So I often see the first thing first, you know, the most, the more you drink, the more urine your body produces. So I often see women complaining of urinary frequency 
And, you know, they always say they got to go, got to go. And they're always going to the bathroom. And I asked about fluid intake and how much they're drinking. And it, actually, it's not uncommon that these ladies say, well, I'm trying to drink a gallon of water, trying to lose weight. And I start my morning with coffee and energy drinks. You know, so the recommended daily intake, a fluid intake a day is about 60 to 80 ounces or 68 glasses of water or fluid. So definitely these ladies nearly double the, the daily recommended intake that they are drinking. And on top of that, caffeine is a diuretic. So it promotes urine production. And also not many people know this, the caffeine not only is a diuretic, but also bladder irritants. So bladder will squeeze spasm to get rid of urine. Just like when you eat something nasty, you want to spit it out. The bladder goes through the same thing. If they have uh, caffeine in the bladder, in the urine, in the bladder, bladder will spasm to squeeze as hard as it can to try to get rid of the irritants. And so we often start with fluid management. Pay attention to not only how much, but what you drink. And also do not wait until the last minute. We call it proactive toileting to make sure you can get to the restroom in timely manner. And behavioral management and pelvic floor exercises are quite helpful. But beyond that, for urgency urinary incontinence, we have several treatment options. So normally the bladder should be completely quiet while it's being filled and acts as a reservoir. And when it reaches near capacity, the bladder will let you know that by giving you a signal, starts to spasm, and that's the sense of urgency. And by increasing bladder pressure, you know, you know when you need to use the restroom. In women with urgency urinary incontinence, though, the bladder pressure increases regardless of the bladder volume. So bladder spasms frequently, and sometimes the pressure is so strong that you cannot suppress the urge and starts to leak. So treatment for that is how we can reduce the bladder spasm or the pressure generated by the bladder. After conservative treatment, we often offer oral medications. There are two types of, or two classes of medication. And actually the efficacy is similar between the two different groups or the different classes. So we choose solely based on the patient's other medical comorbidities, medical conditions, medications, and also side effect profile, and unfortunately also the insurance coverage. And beyond that, we have what's considered third-line treatment options. The goal is how we can reduce the bladder spasm and squeezing. So the bladder squeeze is controlled by the nerves and bladder muscles, and the nerves send signals to the bladder muscles and they muscle squeezes. So we can either target the nerves responsible for the bladder spasm or the muscle directly. And the one that targets the nerves is called sacral neuromodulation. In a nutshell, by placing the lead where the bladder nerves are located and they send the correct signals to the bladder so the bladder receives proper signals and behave as it should. And the other option, uh, other target is of course the muscles directly. So that's when we inject Botox to the bladder muscles and it is not cosmetic Botox. And this is similar to when you have eyelid spasms or twitches and you inject Botox to the eyelids and you can still open and close the eyes normally but eliminate unwanted excessive spasms. 
So when you inject Botox to the blotter, you can still squeeze the blotter and empty as you normally would, but reduces the unwanted spasming of the blotter. So those are the urinary incontinence treatment specifically for urgency. And now moving on to, I would like to address treatments for stress leakage. And stress leakage, on the other hand, is more of a structural and support problem under the urethra and bladder. And the urethra and the bladder, the part of the bladder, should be supported. And when you lose all those support for whatever reason, the urethra is unstable and starts to leak. So that's what uh, the most common type of stress leakage, the unstable urethra. So the goal is to put the support back in under the urethra. And there are two approaches, and conservatively, we can put a medical insert or device called pessary, which is a silicone-made device, a silicone-made insert. And as long as you wear this, your bladder is supported and reduced leakage. And it requires fitting in the clinic, but it's designed so that you do not have to remove to urinate or have bowel movements. And of course, the, the gold standard is the surgical or procedure approach. It's called mid-urethral sling. It's a small graft placed under the urethra, and there's unfortunately no regenerative medicine in this area. So once the support structure is gone, there's little tissue in the area that we can use to put together or placate. So by placing the small synthetic graft, it acts as a scaffold for your own tissue to grow and to rebuild the structure that you used to have to create the support so you do not leak urine. So those are some of the main treatments that we offer. So in summary, you know, for the listeners, there are really two main categories of incontinence. One is urge incontinence, like you talked about as well, stress incontinence, and the treatments are uniquely different for the two. And again, I'm assuming that some patients actually have a little bit of both. Definitely. So I think that there's a, there's a whole cadre of really both non-surgical and surgical treatment options for women that have incontinence. So, you know, one of the things that has been discussed both in the scientific literature as the late press, Dr. Meyer, is this concern of using mesh materials, particularly in the vagina, whether it's supporting the midurethra or elsewhere, I, I thought maybe you could just briefly dive into what the concerns are. Is that something that, you know, patients should be concerned about if they have surgery and maybe to provide some guidance there? Definitely. I'm glad you brought it up. So mid-urethral sling is considered actually a gold standard for the treatment of stress-type leakage, and not only in the United States, but also across, the, you know, the worldwide. And because of this recent FDA announcement on transvaginal mesh products, that was actually the products, mesh products, indicated for prolapse or vaginal prolapse placed vaginally. Because of this announcement, there has been a lot of confusion on mid-urethral slings. FDA makes a clear distinction, though, between the transvaginal mesh for prolapse and the mid-urethral slings. And since the 90s, when it was first introduced to the United States, the mid-urethral sling has been the most studied anti-incontinence procedure in medical history. And they're considered safe and effective, even uh, recognized by the FDA. Surprisingly, over 2,000 publications, including long-term follow-up studies, have been published, that, which was you know, a few years ago, a couple of years ago. So the number continues to rise. And when you talk about risks and risk categories 
classes by the FDA standard, the sling is still placed in class two category, which is the same as, for instance, like pregnancy test kit, or wheelchair and things like that. So they understand the risks of this urethral sling, but they also consider it as a safe material. And the sling material is called polypropylene, which is stable and safe material used not only in gynecology us, but also used in other surgical procedures, including cardiovascular transplant, orthopedics, ophthalmology, ENT, urology, and general surgeries, to name a few. So it's a very safe product. And thanks to this advancement in medicine and science, we are able to offer this minimally invasive procedure for the treatment of stress urinary incontinence, where before this, I'm sure you remember this, but we had to harvest the graft from a patient's abdominal wall, make five-inch incision through the abdominal wall and through the abdomen, just like a cesarean section, to get a strip of tissue so we can put it in the vagina. And compared to this, the mid-urethral sling, not only it is more effective and durable, it is significantly less mobile. It's 15, 20-minute procedure. Fewer complications and patients recover much faster. So that is one of the things that I wanted to bring up today. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what I'm asking the question because I don't want patients and our listeners to be confused about the issue of meshing in the vagina. I think that's distinctly separate from the uh, devices that are used for mid-urethral support as you're describing. And, you know, having done many of the earlier generation procedures to correct uh, stress urinary incontinence, I mean, I, I can just tell you, and I know that you agree that these mid-urethral slings are transformative, mm-hmm. not only in terms of reducing the risk of complications, but in terms of really adequately addressing their stress urinary incontinence. It's been like the gold standard of care for, for several, many, many years now. Right. And, you know, there's no zero risk or risk-free procedure, but when compared to other procedures available, definitely mid-urethral sling is considered a gold standard for the treatment of stress urinary incontinence. No, I mean, I think there are a lot of lives that have been transformed by these procedures, and it's a good thing. So so let me ask you, I mean, so why, why should women consider coming to UAB for their urinary incontinence care? I thought maybe you can comment on that briefly. Definitely. So our urogynecology clinic provides evidence-based comprehensive care for women with pelvic floor issues, such as urinary incontinence, as I mentioned today, as well as bowel leakage and pelvic organ prolapse or bulging in the vagina. Our providers are a true advocate for women's health, not only making a difference at the individual level, helping one by one, but also through research to advance science and are the leaders in the field of female pelvic medicine. We were involved in many, many trials, including mid-urethral slings and other procedures to advance science. And all of us are, very importantly, all of us are fully board-certified surgeons with extra subspecialty training to provide care, safe and effective care for women with incontinence and prolapse. And so we are proud of our true multidisciplinary clinic. In addition to our providers, our clinic has been recognized as the first center nationally, the Center of Excellence by the National Association of Full Continence, working together with our urology, colorectal surgery, geriatrics, and radiology colleagues. We work together to provide excellence of care. So we hope to continue to help women with these burdensome conditions so that we that they no longer have to suffer in silence from these conditions. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I want to make sure our listeners understand the 
the degree and the level of expertise that the providers in your clinics provide because it's really remarkable. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, the medical and surgical procedures that you offer to women have been truly transformative. It's just remarkable. So it's really strong work to you and to your division. I don't know if you have any other thoughts or closing comments that you wanted to make to our listeners today, Dr. Meyer. No, we are here to help. And, you know, we are always open and we are all dedicated to help women with this burdensome condition. So thank you for having me today. No, no, thank you, Dr. Meyer, for all that you do. So again, I'd like to thank Dr. Meyer for her time and sharing her expertise in the area of urinary incontinence. And as always, please rate this podcast and we welcome any comments, particularly on topics that you're all interested in. And for more information on urinary incontinence management and the clinical services that UAB provides, please check out uabmedicine.org. And until next time, thank you, and I hope you all have a great day.